Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and my good buddy, Danny Abdeljabar. How are you? Chilling, man, as per usual, prepping for a tropical storm in the next couple of days. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's that, it's that time of year. Um, this is the first first one that's probably going to hit, and it's probably going to hit around Sunday or Monday, which is why we're recording today. Well, come on. Yeah. Don't you believe in Murphy's Law? You just you uh, move any, there. Anything that could go you, wrong will go you wrong. You purchase the <laughs> home there. Anything that can go go wrong will go wrong. Well, I hope it. I hope it misses you. I'm actually going to be. I bought my tickets to visit <laughs> you again. But that's not till October. So, well, that's you still hurricane season, right? It is, but you got a little time. I'll keep an eye on the on the radar. Storm watch. It w- it sure would suck to have a hurricane when I travel to go back to the island that I love. Well, my my uh, my girlfriend's parents are coming in this weekend, so there's that. <laughs> oh, that's that kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, last week, at the end of our show, you told me about this crazy story mm-hmm. that I had no idea it ever happened. It's like an untold uh, saga in American history, and we just have to dedicate an episode or maybe a couple episodes, and. That is a time that the United States bombed Puerto Rico. That's right. <laughs> and I just, I need to hear the entire story of this because I truly did not know any of this, this, this history or um, anything about like the different separatist movements in Puerto Rico throughout the, the 20th century where they even went as far as trying to assassinate Harry Truman. That's right. <laughs> they tried to assassinate the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. So I want to learn. I want to learn more about this. I think everyone will find this 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 episode uh, just kind of strange and and, and interesting. And um, you've done enough research on this to to do multiple episodes. So I don't know where do we start. Well, you know, I wanted to tell you a crazy story. So the, how I learned about this and how I came upon it was last weekend my girlfriend and I went to like one of these like coffee farms up in the mountains uh, and it was in a city called um, Hayuya, Hajuja, Hashusha. I'm not even sure how it's pronounced. Like we asked one of the people there and they said it and I'm like, there's no way I'm saying this. It's spelled J-A-Y-U-Y-A. Hayuya. Hayuya. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's definitely like Taino in origin and I don't know how to pronounce it. So if I butcher it, apologies in advance. Anyway, on the drive there, you know, she pulls up the Wikipedia because we like to learn about like the places that we're going to and like exploring the island. And, yeah, you know, she doesn't. she starts reading me the craziest story about its history in the 1950s. One thing led, leads to another. I tell you about the story. We think it's a great idea for a show. I go down this rabbit hole of Puerto Rican nationalist movements. And I think it fits in super well with our last episode on the Catalonian separatist movement. So it's kind of like in the same vein. So this will be super similar. Wait, quick um, question before before. So did you already know about this this uh, separatist movement before? I mean, I knew about the na- before I knew about the she- nationalist parties. Okay, right. I knew I knew about that, and I knew that there was uprisings, but I had no idea how crazy these stories were. Like no idea whatsoever. Until just last weekend. So I want to do things a little bit differently for this episode. We're going to go out of order. I'm first going to tell you six crazy ass stories. Five of which span just four days in 1950. And I'm not going to give any context behind them. Then we can chat about those stories. And afterwards, I'll go over the history that leads up to it. Sound like a good plan? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. 
And just programming note, just some credit where it's due. Uh, I'm getting a lot of this from a book called War Against All Puerto Ricans by Nelson A. Dennis. And it's it was a best-selling book in Puerto Rico in 2015 and 2016, and it's a crazy read. I actually haven't finished it myself, um, but it gave me enough ammo to get into this um, episode. And so we might cut this a little bit short because I think I want to be able to do a bunch more you know, background story, um, for a a follow-up. So let's see, let's see how far we get. Um, so I'll, I'll start with, uh, Hashusha, Hajuja. (laughs) Um, all right. On, on October 29th, 1950, uh, a group of Puerto Rican nationalists burned down a post office, attacked the police station, they cut down the telephone lines, and then they declared Puerto Rico a free republic. That's what happened, <laughs> which is just nuts. When, like, this is this is how like it was told to me in a car, right? And I'm just like, what? <laughs> it, like, I don't know so why it's funny. Like, why why do we find this funny? I don't know, man. It's just so preposterous because this is 1950, right? And it's in Puerto Rico, which at this point is 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 part of the United States, right? It's, it's just nuts, nuts. Maybe I think it's because the reason why I find it funny is because. Puerto Ricans are so nice. Mm-hmm. Like when I was there, everyone is just so friendly and nice that it's just hard to it's hard to hard to cons- imagine that a group of nationalists took over yeah. the whole city. Yeah, it's crazy. So this was known as the uh, Hajusha uh, uprising or the Hajuja revolt or El Grito de Hajuja, uh, which means the the cry of um, or the scream of Hajuja, and uh, it was led by the nationalist. Uh, Blanca Canales, um, and the story goes that at, at dawn that morning, uh, the U.S. Uh, commanded insular police, I'll talk more about them later, um, they surrounded uh, the house of a president of the local nationalist party in Barrio Macana, Macana. This is a different place than Hajuja, um, but because they suspected that they were storing weapons there for a revolution, which... In fairness, they totally were. Uh, so they show up at dawn, and without warning, uh, the police fire on the house, and this massive gunfight pops off. And two nationalists were killed, and six police officers were wounded uh, in this incident. And the kind of funny part about this part of the story is that the the group of nationalists that gets arrested after this uh, situation end up getting accused of participating in an ambush against the local insular police which is just funny because they started it. <laughs> they arrested them and were like, you ambushed us. <laughs> it's like, bro, you shot first. Um, so a little crazy. Uh, now, the Nationalist Party in Puerto Rico, uh, they're, they're like the, the party that, that wants independence from you know the U.S., and, and we'll talk more about their history later, but they, they were also storing weapons in Canales' house uh, in Hashusha, and, you know, she and and some other nationalists end up responding to this particular event uh, by invading the police station in Hashusha. And, you know, they, they obviously opened fired and one officer was killed, three were wounded, and the other officers basically surrendered. You want to take a guess at how this ends? <laughs> so it probably ends with, uh, like, martial law. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the U.S., and, and I'm, I'm using this flexibly here. Technically, this is the, the Puerto Rican National Guard, but they are commanded by U.S. soldiers. Yeah, they're part of the United States. <laughs> yeah. In terms so the of US, who they represent, right. you know, who, whose monopoly on violence they represent. Exactly. So the U.S. ends up declaring martial law on this town, and they attack the town with P-47 Thunderbolt planes, and they drop like 500-pound bombs. They use land-based artillery mortar fire, grenades. They send U.S. infantry troops and the National Guard of Puerto Rico to Hajusha to put down this uprising. And the planes machine-gunned nearly every rooftop in the town. They just decimated this place. Did they think, did the U, was the U.S. mindset where these guys were commies? Well... That's kind of part of the context that I don't want to get into just yet. Um, okay, we'll get we'll get there. Um, so so the nationalists they they managed to hold the town for three straight days, but 
But ultimately, uh, the survivors were all arrested, and you know many of them died. So even even though you know Hajuja was like pretty much destroyed, uh, the news that came out of this military action was prevented from spreading outside of Puerto Rico. And where it was reported outside of Puerto Rico, it was reported as a quote incident between Puerto Ricans by the U.S. media. <laughs> How does that make it's like you a feel? Brawl outside a bar. <laughs> yeah. They they dropped 500 pound bombs on a town in Puerto Rico flying American planes, but it's an incident between Puerto Ricans. <laughs> this is why you don't know about it, right? This is why we didn't know about it. Cuz they they kept it pretty pretty hush hush. Oh, just just some just some squ- local squabble. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was it was some an, neighbors an actual an, inter, an inter, a insurrection. <laughs> That the United States military violently put down. Yep. So crazy. And it wasn't even the only one that happened. And the craziest part, and this is going to be a trend here, the very next day on October 30th, in a different town, the town of Utuado, a group of 32 nationalists attacked their local police. And just like the first one, this fight actually doesn't go so well. Um... So only 12 of the 32 of those nationalists survive the initial fight, and they retreat to one of the nationalists' homes. And that house also got wrecked by a P-47, and three more people died from that bombardment. And the National Guard arrives later that day, and they scoop up the nine surviving nationalists. They get them to surrender, basically. And, you know... The nine men are taken to the police station, and instead of given due process, they're shot. They just shot them. So they executed them. They executed them. Yeah. So the national guard took these took these guys. They they arrested them. Right. And instead of uh, taking them, like putting them through due processes and and having them tried in court, they just took it upon themselves them. to shot shoot them. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm not trying to make light out of this, but. It's just I mean, kind of it's the absurdity is, yeah. is what's warranting the, the 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 humor in it. Like sometimes events are so absurd that you're just like, what? You can't help but laugh. You know, you can't it's... help that but have this reaction. But so they so there was a a a separatist movement that turned violent. The the U.S. Violently put it down, and then the National Guard. I'm assuming that National Guard are are local Puerto Ricans, right? They are, um, but they're commanded by U.S. They're commanded commanders. by the U.S. Mm-hmm. So instead of taking them to court and just doing the standard, like you know, uh, having them court martialed, or I guess it wouldn't be court martialed, just just put them in in, in put them in jail and have their you know convict them of of treason, and then you know do what you will with them if that's right. death by firing squad i'm not sh- exactly sure so how here's, here's the thing the law that, that i want to make clear though i'm not certain if it was the utuado police or the um national guard who shot them they were brought to the utuado police station i'm not super certain at this point who actually did the shooting but it actually kind of doesn't matter and i'll get some more of this in the context because both the national guard and the insular police in Puerto Rico were all run by United States military. So okay, so effectively yeah. the same, the same organization, the same thing. So they right. took these guys, they and they and they just decided to execute them. All right, um, all right. Let's go. Let's go on. <laughs> so just the last point that this story that that happened exactly a day after the last story was also reported in the U.S. as an incident between Puerto Ricans. By the U.S. media, an incident between Puerto Ricans. So, um, that's um, nothing, crazy. Nothing to worry. Nothing to worry about here. But I guess <laughs> the, the the this is this is the 1950s, right? Um, yep. This this is a time where where nationalism is rising high, and um, you know the British Empire is falling apart. There's a uh, different countries and there's different groups who are seeing the light in terms of like getting independence and a lot of them are the 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 main Cuba state Libre actor movement, movement the state the state happening. actor yeah the mm-hmm. Cuba Libre movement is happening mm-hmm. but these movements are are 
able to happen because they finally have a state backer who's on their side, who's using right. them as a hammer against the West and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. So the United States is extra paranoid uh, or extra worried about these nationalist these nationalist movements because you know they will often cite Marxist type ideology and right. it doesn't really make them Marxist. They're, they're anti-colonial uh, rhetoric and some other things, but usually it's it's much more about just anti-colonialism rather than yes. In you know, this the, case, the, the ultimate class struggle that Marx right. talks about. In this case, it was much more about, you know, going against U.S. colonial rule than it was like a socialism or Marxism. Yeah. But there was, that was kind of permeating in the background. But again, I don't want to get into any of the context because this is, this is fun. Just yeah, talking that's, about in the, the that's, in, that's in the background. This is not about right. communism yet. Right. All right. So here's another story. So same day that the Utuado uprising happens, in San Juan, five nationalists attacked La Fortaleza, which is the governor's mansion uh, in old San Juan. Uh, I think I took you there. Um, And they try to assassinate the governor, Luis Munoz Marin. And that battle lasts about 15 minutes. uh, And it left four nationalists dead and three police officers wounded. This one's a bit of a shorter story. I don't have a a whole lot of context around it, but it's still pretty crazy considering that it happened on the same exact day and the day after the first one, right? Just a lot of shit's popping off right now in Puerto Rico. Yeah, there seems to be some type of uh, level of coordination. Well, of course, you know, one thing leads to another. And and the Nationalist Party there, they, they were, you know... They were already stockpiling weapons, right? So they, they were ready for a fight. It just took something, and the something is context, so I'm not going to go over that. But it took something for them to, you know, become militant. Uh, and that's how it all starts going down. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances— I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I want to tell you my absolute favorite story from this period. And this one's crazy. I haven't told you about this one, so this is the first time you're hearing about it. This is called The Gunfight at Salon Boricua. Um, so on October 31st in the town of Santurce, this is where I live now, not far from here, 40 police officers and national guardsmen attack a, a lone nationalist at his barbershop with pistols, rifles, machine guns, and even grenades. Just let that sink in there. Who was this person and why did... They, um, you know, go complete ham on this guy. <laughs> well, his his name is, uh, or was, he's dead now, um, Vidal Santiago Diaz. And he was the owner of the Salon Boricua Barbershop. And he was boys with a very important person uh, who we'll talk about later, uh, Pedro Albizu Campos. And this is the de facto leader of the entire Nationalist Party of Puerto Rico. You can think of him as like the Che Guevara of Puerto Rico, if you will, right? We'll talk about more, more about him later. But he was, he was his boy, and he was also his personal barber, right? Uh, so on I that know day— I we'll, we'll get his barber. <laughs> yeah, we'll He'll never be able to get that fine tape up again. Yep. No more when he loses for, his tape no up, more he'll lose credibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so— on that day, Diaz finds out, the, the barber, D, Vidal Diaz, uh, he finds out that um, the U.S. National Guard surrounded Campos's home in San Juan, 
in response to all this madness that was going on over the last three days, right? Because he's like the leader of the Nationalist Party, so they surround his home. Um, So Vidal calls the uh, office of the Puerto Rican Attorney General, and he actually offers to mediate the surrender of Campos. But they didn't respond, and instead they sent 40 U.S. National Guardsmen and insular policemen uh, to surround his barbershop. That's how they responded. Now, technically speaking, Vidal shot first. <laughs> he was he was Han Solo in this case. He shot first. Uh, but they well they re-edited it. they re-edited it in the in <laughs> to make sure Star that he shot Wars first. to yeah to make his uh, character not shoot first, which kind of ruins the character. Yeah, it really does. Right? Is it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, because really the does. whole fact is that he's. You know, has this kind of uh, Han Solo originally ask questions later. <laughs> yeah, shoot first, ask. But he's a killer. You know, he's a dangerous killer, and that's the that's the vibe. That's the what that's what the character is. Then it right. becomes self defense in the new one. We're like, wait, no. The purpose right. was to set up the character as a killer who's dangerous. Acting. I can I can make a I can make a direct comparison here. It, I don't remember the character the alien character's name. I forget it. It's weird, right? But if you remember, he held him up at gunpoint, right? Like, he sat him down at that table. He pointed a gun at him. He was like, yo, I got a gun on That me. is true. Right? So he provoked Han Solo, and Han Solo reacted by he shooting definitely, first. He definitely, Han Solo was provoked. Right. And, and so was Vidal in this case, right? They showed up to his house with 40 soldiers after he tried to help them. Right. So he I mean, he has some balls, basically, like Han Solo. And as you'll find out, he's also tough as fucking nails. So this gunfight was crazy and it lasts three hours. It went on so long that over a dozen radio stations rushed to the scene for a live broadcast of the battle. And actually, this was the first island-wide radio broadcast, like a live radio broadcast, in the history of Puerto Rico. So, kind of fascinating. I'm talking about reporters from all over the island came to San Juan, to, to San Terce, to his barbershop, to broadcast this. And, and including the parts that are like two hours away. Folks from Mayagüez, which is far from here, showed up. And at one point, this one reporter who actually grew up with Vidal, his name is uh, Luis Enrique, or they, uh, his nickname is Bibi uh, Marrero. He actually ended up getting close enough to talk to him during one of the lulls in the gunfight. And I'm going to quote here from that book that I was telling you about. I'm going to try to do a dramatic reenaction of their, uh, <laughs> of their conversation. So um, Bibi says, Oye, Vidal. And then... Gang habla. So who's 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 speaking? It's me, Bibi. How you doing in there? I'm all fucked up. Coño, Vidal. Te ha hecho famoso. Which means, fuck, Vidal. They made you famous. Every radio station on the island is here. I got a radio too. It's all this American crap. Do you need anything? Yeah, a ticket to Cuba. Maybe we can arrange it. How many of there are you? And at this point, it it gets cut off. The National Guard starts shooting again. And, you know, it really ramps up. And and, and everyone on on both the the reporter side and on the National Guard side were estimating that there were probably at least 20 nationalists hidden in the barbershop and firing from the barbershop. And eventually, there's another lull. And one of the National Guard folks says... Vidal Santiago, we don't want to hurt you. To which he responds, Tell that to my leg, pendejo. You shot it pretty good. You and your friends come out with your hands up and no harm will come to you. I don't have any friends. What you do have is one minute. Come out or we're coming in. And then, right after this point, three Molotov cocktails get thrown out from the second floor window of the barbershop and then they start shooting again. So fucking nuts right and by the way this is all being broadcasted (laughs) on radio 
you can hear all this stuff. All the radio announcers are, are, are you know, given play-by-play commentary. Nuts. Can you find this on YouTube? I don't know. We should check. That'd be awesome. So the whole reason why they brought this many guys to the barbershop, to answer your question, was that they thought other nationalists were in there with him. They, I mean, they made an interesting you know, conclusion there because how the hell does one dude hold off 40 armed people for three hours, you know? Had to be more than one person in there. But it was just Vidal. He was in that building firing uh, a bunch of weapons, but uh, among them an M3A1 submachine gun. And he would like run from window to window and like shoot from them. And he was throwing Molotov cocktails and shit. But they got him, man. They got him good. They shot him up, shot his leg several times. They shot his thumb off. They shot three fingers on, off of his left hand. You know, he was obviously very much outgunned. The, the National Guards end up use, like pulling out a Browning machine gun to basically shred up his barbershop, right? And, and during this process, eventually a staircase collapses on Vidal and the gunfire stops. But it wasn't over. So the soldiers and the police, they go into the um, barbershop and they pull him out from the wreckage under the staircase and they weren't trying to take no chances. So they just straight up shot him in the head. It, it sounds like it's, it sounds like the, uh, the uh, killing of, of uh, a Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. Kind of. Where they, where yeah. they just machine gun him and then they go up to his body and then they just start shooting, like desecrating his body with, with bullets and then they kick him in the face. Right. But in this case, they only shot him once in the head. That should have been enough, but it wasn't over. So the soldiers, they, they, they drag him out of the barbershop. And, and as they're in the, the, the barbershop, they notice there's no fucking people here. It's just him. It's just this one dude. And again, I want to keep reminding you that as crazy as this story sounds, there were radio reporters broadcasting this live. So unless they like fucking used a Harry Potter wand and like, you know, disapparated or whatever they call it, wasn't anybody else in there except they're in. So when they brought the body out of the shop, to the surprise of literally everyone, Vidal's eyes open. This motherfucker got shot in the head at point blank, among <laughs> other sustained injuries, and somehow survived. Is this is this like a a highly sensationalized story, <laughs> or his eyes open, or was it just like a spasm? No, man, he recovered. So I got I got a quote I got a quote from that um, from from the author. He writes. He was the barber who defied an empire with a bullet in his brain. This guy survived this. They sent him to the hospital. And when he recovered, mostly, they sentenced him to 17 years in prison. Two years later, uh, Santiago Diaz was granted pardon of all the charges, um, which for all the cases that concluded or that were pending against him, uh, by the Puerto Rican governor, Luis Munoz, Munoz Marin, the same guy that the nationalists tried to kill earlier. So he pardoned him with like some pretty heavy paroling. Like they were watching this guy, but they did pardon him. And it, don't, a little bit of context, don't think that like suddenly this governor is a nice guy. They, ha- they kind of had to because the whole island got to listen to this story and he became like an overnight hero, Right. And if they kept him in jail or, you know, did anything more, they thought that that would create more, um, more like revolts, more revolutions, which was absolutely correct. So this is all like a pr- pressure to get him pardoned. I just want to make that absolutely clear. Well, anyway, I mean, you get you, you take a bullet in the head, you're kind of meant to live. Tis but to scratch. <laughs> um, so so this guy Vidal, he never really like fully recovered from his gunshot wound to the head. Cause like, why would you? Uh, so he had a lot of like trouble in life later on. And he ends up moving with his wife to, uh, Bayamon, which is not too far from here, but you know, he moves out of San Juan and he gets out of politics for the most part and becomes a deacon in the disciples of Christ church. Um, and fun fact, even though he was missing some fingers due to that gun, 
fight. He actually still ended up working as a barber for many years. So talk about a badass, right? Missing fingers, still doing tight fades. Well, we don't know how tight those fades were. <laughs> well, they, there, you, there was probably you do, a regression you do a fade. in fades. I'd like to see how tight your fade is when you've lost a bunch with, of fingers, with fingers and got shot in the head. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Well, I can't do a fade with fingers, but yeah. <laughs> and hey, maybe I guess you're not using your fingers. You can use your uh, like up to your knuckles, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just got. He was missing a thumb on one hand, but not the other one. So he still had a thumb, so he could still grab shit, I guess. Yeah. Um, fun, fun fun, personal fact. My, I lost my finger once, and it was what? sewed back on. Yeah. Get out. For real? When I was seven years old. My really? Sister, my sister uh, closed a door on my finger. And, and, and it, it came chopped, off? It came off. Um, Get the fuck out. Which finger? My pinky. On which hand? Left or right? My left hand, and then then I was rushed to the hospital. It got stuck in like the. Um, the I was in a, in a, I was in a pizzeria Uno. I remember yeah. this event very clearly. A pizzeria Uno, and there was a phone booth in there, like an old fashioned phone booth. It wasn't mm-hmm. real. And then um, my sister uh, closed the phone booth, not the door, but you know where the hinges are, and mm-hmm. took my finger right off. And I was rushed nice. to the hospital, and I just, I had a really good plastic surgeon who was available who sewed it back on, and then it healed. It was not the full finger; it was like it was like the tip of it, but Still. enough to enough to where it was hanging by the bone. That's crazy. That's crazy. I didn't know yeah. this about you, Henry. So no, you fun, and you and Vidal have something in common, then I guess. <laughs> I know how it is to lose a finger. <laughs> it must suck I, I don't remember exactly how old he was but he he didn't die until like March of 1982 so he lived for like 30 more years I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan but nowhere as important to the world as China I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so I got, got two more stories here. Um, from from this whole spiel. And uh, one of them, I mean, obviously this is a pretty hard story to follow up because that one was c- crazy, but I do want to tell these ones anyway because they happen on or around the same time. And, and what's important about these stories is that up until this point, the violence had been contained in Puerto Rico. Remember, this is a, you know, it's, a, it's an event between Puerto Ricans. It's an incident between Puerto Ricans. But the next two stories I'm going to tell actually hit home. So the day after this crazy-ass barbershop battle, November 1st, Nash, the, the, the barber, nationalists... A barbershop battle. <laughs> yeah. The barbershop battle. Um, so November 1st, th- these uh, nationalists, uh, Oscar Colazzo and Griselio, Griselio uh, Torresola, Torresola um, they actually attempt to assassinate President Truman. And this was something that, like, really... Uh, made me super interested in this story that these guys went as far as uh, 
uh, of uh, conspiring of a presidential assassination. I and mean, attempting, not even just att- conspiring. Att- yeah, conspiring, hey, attempting. Tried. <laughs> and that's where I found a Rand paper, mm-hmm. um, like an old Rand paper written in the 1980s mm-hmm. that writes all about this. And um, I was like, whoa, this is... Um, I never, I never realized. It's funny though. In this paper from the '80s, from the Rand Corporation, that like the first sentence is that, unlike other uh, uh, world powers in the past, the U.S. doesn't really have to deal with terrorism that much. Like the U.S. Has, <laughs> doesn't hasn't really dealt with terrorism that much. Mm-hmm. But the biggest problem is Puerto Rico, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was obviously way. It was before. Um, any type of like, it, I think it was even before the Beirut bombing, this, this, uh, paper was written. It was written in either sev- late seventies or early eighties. And, um, it was just highlighting the, the, um, you know, all, all these incidents on the Island and domestically as well. And, and I mean, on the, in, in continental United States and, um, you know, the, this was, uh, a, a real plot and, a, a real attempt to assassinate Harry Truman. Yep. They they attacked the um the Blair House where Truman was staying in Washington D.C. And th- this one was an exceptionally short story. the The whole ordeal took less than a minute. Um, Torresola and another police officer, Leslie uh, Kofelt, are killed in this incident, and uh, Oscar Colazzo uh, is. Uh, arrested and is sentenced to life in prison. So there's that, but it's kind of a shorter story. I mean, there, there's probably a whole, you probably do a whole episode about the planning of this, but you know, it obviously happened in direct response to all this shit that was happening before. And it's super consequential because up until this point, the media was trying to downplay this as a Puerto Rican, like Puerto Rican infighting, but now it's hitting, it's hitting home. This is just days after it started, right? Yeah, you can't say, you can't blame um, a, a uh, infighting on an attempted assassination on a U.S. president, right? I mean, it starts. I don't. I don't really know what the news was like in 1950. I'd have to do much, much more research to kind of get a sense for the zeitgeist then. But I can imagine that people start going, "Hey, I just read about this Puerto Rico thing like yesterday." And they said it was just Puerto Rican infighting. Now Puerto Rican's trying to kill the president. Like, what What the fuck, right? Like, why? It's It, it would make me, if I lived in this time period, question, why would a Puerto Rican want to kill our president if they're just fighting against each other in Puerto Rico? Like, what's the deal here, right? Wouldn't it raise some eyebrows for you? Yeah, absolutely. It makes you wonder what other, whenever you hear infighting, like, oh, that event was just uh, infighting from these two groups. It makes you question that. Was well, the was U.S. Really involved? In, was, <laughs> well, was the U.S. involved or another state involved? Or was this just a way bigger deal than than actually presented? Right. Sir, I mean, in this case, it certainly was. All right, I got one last, one last story for you here. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the history. Um, and then we'll see where we want to end. But... Uh, 1954, four years later, right, after the 1950 group of craziness, uh, four nationalists entered the Ladies' Gallery, which was a, a balcony for visitors of the U.S. Capitol, and they pull out a Puerto Rican flag, and they shout, Que viva Puerto Rico libre, which means, you know, long live free Puerto Rico, Right. And they shoot at 240 representatives of the 83rd Congress. And five uh, Congress people were wounded, but none of them fatally. I, I would make a, another comparison when that guy started shooting um, the Republican congressmen uh, at their softball or their baseball yeah. practice. Very, very similar. Yeah. Very, very similar. Um, and this was um, the, the main um, person— one of the nationalists was Lolita LeBron, um, uh, among three others, uh, but she was like the main one. And um, they were arrested, obviously, uh, and they were sentenced to 70 years imprisonment 
uh, and on her arrest, she said, I did not come to kill anyone. I came to die for Puerto Rico. That's what she said. Real badass. The hardcore nationalist. Yep. It was a, this was a huge story in 1954. And again, now you literally cannot deny it. So four years ago, Puerto Ricans tried to kill the president. Four years later, they shoot up the House of Representatives. Well, right? well just, just this, this is why it's so surreal to me. Because I, I feel like I'm... We do. We've been doing a podcast on history for years, mm-hmm. and, and we missed this one. <laughs> and it's just, you know, I've taken, I've I've studied history, um, just in school, on my personal time, um, for this podcast, and I've never read about this story before. Like I've never heard about uh, Puerto Rican nationalists shooting up the eighty third Congress. I've never, I've never read about this story before, which is just, which makes it just strange. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm trying, I'm questioning it. Like, am I, did I just not pay attention to this one <laughs> no, man. moment or did I miss, did I not read closely? Cause it seems like something that should be, should be, I don't know, at the very least known. It doesn't really have, you don't need to focus a whole chapter on it, but. No, get a couple lines to mention it, it, baby. Is it a couple a couple of lines? But does that go? Like, I'm just wondering why stories like this are not covered in mainstream history. Like, even just in a in a standard U.S. history textbook, it's never mentioned. And, and is it is it because you'd have to put this under the subtext consequences of empire? Maybe that could be it. It's it like could con- also just con- be that it was you know 1950s are like huge. For U.S. Just, domestic just politics, just a, a small cliff, just so. a small cliff note in in like the grand scheme of things. The only thing that you really learn about, you know, I I I asked why we don't learn about this, but we're we're talking about like standard history textbooks where they devote right. like a page to the entire Korean War. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why would why would they spend a moment on you know this this random act of violence? But it's um it's just a very interesting story. I'm even putting this in YouTube and there's really not even that much on YouTube where you would think that mm-hmm. there would be uh, some, you know, dorky guy like us. Who <laughs> we're would, the dorky guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we're the dorky guys who are doing it now, but like some other dorky person who would be all about this and like, you know, unexplained history tidbits type stuff. And I'm not really finding too much. So it's just, I'm, it's just it's super interesting why this is like such a neglected part of our history that there was you know a, a real assassination attempt on 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 not only the president but there was there was an actual uh, um, how many members of the eighty third Congress were wounded five two hundred well wounded None. yeah um, wounded five five Congress people yeah but none of them fatally but still. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to to understand why this is such a unknown part of history. Maybe everyone listening to this knows us, and we're just the only ones we're who the don't, never yeah. read about this. We're like we're the idiots. Like I'm, I'm actually really that's like yeah, Henry, you've never heard of the like, you've never heard uprising? of this story. <laughs> like how do you guys even do a history podcast and you've never you've never heard about this story? I'm actually that's in my head is like a real possible scenario that. Right. This is just something completely overlooked. Someone, someone's um, uh, someone's in the in the review section right now. Henry and Danny are such idiots. They didn't even know that Puerto Ricans attacked the eighty third Congress. <laughs> so, so we just went through some crazy amount of stories, and I gave you absolutely no context for it. Um, so, I'd like to kind of pivot a little bit and tell you why the hell did this all happen, right? Because I think we agree it's it's weird that we didn't know about this in the first place. But now that we know, you know, the, the obvious question is like, you know, Puerto Ricans just, just didn't spring out of nowhere and start, you know, violent uprising for no reason. Right. There's got to be a reason behind this. Uh, and I'd like to talk about that. Um, and to talk about that, I think we have to kind of go back to the Spanish-American War, which I feel like we've tangentially done several episodes on this. So if you want the most details on those, we have several episodes on the Spanish-American War, so I'm going to skip over a lot of stuff. Um, but 
you know, a- after the U.S. wins that that war, Puerto Rico comes into its possession, and this ends like 400 years of Spanish uh, colonization of that island. But rather than creating a straight up like liberation scenario of the Puerto Rican people, it it ends up just being colonization under new management. So when when the U.S. won the Spanish-American War, it annexed the former Spanish colony of Puerto Rico uh, as part of the uh, Treaty of Paris that was signed on December 10th in 1898. But but to get there, you know, I, we kind of need to talk about the lead up to the U.S. occupation of Puerto Rico. You know, in 1897, just less than a year before the start of the Spanish-American War, Spain issued Puerto Rico uh, a thing called La Carta de Autonomía which is uh, the Charter of Autonomy, which effectively granted Puerto Rico more autonomy over its self-determination. And this is like super similar to the relationship uh, between like uh, Jamaica and the UK as an example, right? So it basically allows Puerto Rico the right to vote. Of course, only men, of course. Um, But, you know, they were able to govern themselves domestically and set up courts domestically but it's still like a protectorate of the kingdom of spain so that was the um that was the uh uh, subtext there and the same the same like rights were granted to cuba at the same time and this was definitely you know no doubt a means to cool down the growing pressure of separatism in the spanish like flagship colonies of course cuba being their number one colony and Puerto Rico being very close second. Um, So they held elections in Puerto Rico uh, the following year in March in um, uh, 1898. And the first autonomous government of Puerto Rico ends up going into effect and going to work uh, on July 17th of that year. But, you know, an autonomous Puerto Rico didn't really last very long, though. Keep in mind that in between that election in March... And when the government went into effect in July, the Spanish-American War had kicked off. And so eight days after the autonomous government was set up, the, the commanding general of the U.S., uh, Nelson A. Miles, he ends up invading Puerto Rico with 16,000 soldiers. This dude basically invaded from the southwest, avoiding the more heavily guarded areas in the northeast like San Juan. And it proved to be a very effective strategy because he basically breezed through Puerto Rico town by town. Um, and the whole campaign only lasted about two months before Puerto Rico fell. And eventually, Spain conceded defeat to the U.S. in general with that Treaty of Paris in December. This is the setup for an almost 10-year period where the U.S. de facto colonizes Puerto Rico. Of course, it, it could be argued that Puerto Rico is still a colony, um, but... In this period I'm, I'm referring to, you know, Puerto Ricans are not yet U.S. citizens and are left with these crippling economic treatment from the U.S. Yeah. So like when it's a real uh, colonizer subject relationship. Right. Right. They're in that kind of middle zone. And it was a it was a brutal 10 year period. Um, yeah, unsurprisingly, the, to talk about this period, we have to talk about a pretty common disaster in Puerto Rico. And I talked about, you know, an oncoming uh, uh, tropical storm. But in this case, it was a hurricane, uh, a big one. In 1899, Hurricane San um, Siriaco, Siriaco, something like that, San Siriaco. Um, it makes landfall in Puerto Rico and kills over 3,400 Puerto Ricans and becomes one of the worst hurricanes in Caribbean recorded history. Um, for some comparison... Everyone remembers the 2018 Hurricane Maria that devastated Puerto Rico. Uh, And while the numbers are super shaky on the death toll for that, um, that one is reported, reportedly said to have just killed under 3,000. So this one in 1899 was worse by many accounts. So loss of more. There's probably more, a lot more people on the island in 2018 as well. For sure. So by percentage this was also a much greater percentage of the population too in 1899 which is crazy and you know loss of life is bad by itself obviously uh, but a major issue 
was that the hurricane destroyed the entire island's coffee crop, which was, at the time, their main cash crop, which created a major economic blow. Now, I love to talk shit about Trump and his response to Maria, which, to this day, I still maintain was objectively shit. But William McKinley's response to this hurricane was worse. Not only did the U.S. not send any aid to Puerto Rico after that hurricane, it's, it's brand new fresh colony, didn't even help them. The U.S. actually decided to arbitrarily devalue the currency on the island. I'm going to tell you how that, was, how that worked out. So the U.S. set up these American colonial banks and replaced the Spanish peso with the U.S. dollar. Now, this doesn't seem uncommon, right? They just gained a new colonial possession. They're going to want to also change the fiat currency. Sounds pretty straightforward. At this time, the peso and the, and the U.S. dollar was valued roughly equally. So one U.S. dollar to one U.S. to one Spanish peso. But when they were in this transition, the banks start declaring that the trade-in value of pesos was 60 cents to the dollar. That's basically an overnight reduction of 40% of Puerto Rican wealth. Just like that. They basically devastated an already devastated economy. Is that nuts? Yeah, that's a pretty natural uh, catastrophe followed up with with a complete currency devaluation that will definitely set up, um, you know, nationalistic uh, uh, sentiment. And, you know, if that was just it, I'd, I'd understand. But, of course, it doesn't stop there. What comes next is... Puerto Ricans, particularly farmers in Puerto Rico, because remember, they, they got hit the hardest because all of their cash crop just gone. They start needing to take out loans from these new banks to make ends meet. And since this is a colony and Puerto Ricans were treated like subhumans, there were no protections in place for borrowing money. So these banks end up charging these crazy interest rates, which lead to pretty much everyone defaulting on their loans. Now the banks own the farmlands. And this creates a massive bank run for a land grab of Puerto Rico. And one of those banks, uh, the Riggs National Bank, scoops up a hefty amount of land and influence. Uh, a, a member of the Riggs family, uh, Alicia, his name is Alicia. <laughs> they write it E. Francis Riggs. His name is Alicia. He, he later becomes the chief of police. Alicia's a girl's name. <laughs> <laughs> He's a piece of shit, this guy. He, he, um, he later becomes the chief of police of Puerto Rico, of all of Puerto Rico, and is involved in the Rio Piedras massacre, which we'll talk more about later. Um, total piece of shit, right? But you can imagine the situation here, right? Banks are basically using, they're practicing usury, which is the practice of like charging exorbitant, um, you know, uh, interest rates for lending, uh, grabbing all of the land because people are defaulting on it, and then some of these banks, like the Riggs Bank, uh, use that power, money, and influence to appoint uh, one of their family members to the chief of police of Puerto Rico, who then later goes and does a terrible massacre in Rio Piedras. Talk more about that later. You know Riggs Bank. Riggs Bank was um, it's like a bank that was used to um, basically launder money to like the Saudis. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. You'll hear advice on everything from how to build confidence to how to get the best night's sleep. New episodes drop every weekday, and each one is five minutes or less, so you only have to listen a little to get a lot more out of your weekdays. Listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. 
Like it, it's like the Riggs Bank is notorious no, is notorious for um for like stashing money from like other foreign states. Um, it's like very it's a very shady financial institution. Riggs. I Bank. didn't know that, but you know what? After reading about what they did in Puerto Rico, I don't doubt it. That's crazy. Yeah. When did Puerto Ricans actually end up becoming U.S. citizens? Like how how does that happen? Well. The short answer is the Jones Act, and we could probably do an entire episode on the Jones Act and why it was created, what it did, and you know how it how it panned out and how it's literally still impacting Puerto Rico. It's a piece yeah, of shit. Yeah, we talked act. about the Jones. We we talked yeah. about the Jones Act in in our episode about Puerto Rican history. Yeah, right. Jones Act is 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 uh, is terrible. It's it's terrible among many. Why don't we do things. do do a brief? Why don't we do a brief? Um, explanation of what the Jones Act is, and then let's wrap it up because I think the rest of the stuff kind of warrants its own episode. Okay, so the Jones Act basically is the the main reason the Jones Act was enacted is because in 1917, you know, we're talking about full tilt for World War One, right? And President Woodrow Wilson. Uh, for many reasons, one of this is probably the primary among them, um, basically uses this act to grant Puerto Ricans U.S. citizenship so that they can then recruit over 18,000 Puerto Ricans to fight in World War One. So this is a, a big draw for why the, the Jones Act was created. It basically separated the executive, judicial, and legislative branches of the Puerto Rican government. It created civil rights for the individuals uh, in Puerto Rico. And it also uh, uh, it set up a, a bicameral legislature. Um, there were two houses, just like in the U.S., you know, a Senate with 19 members and and a house with 39 members. But the governor of Puerto Rico and the United States had the power to veto any laws that were passed by the legislature. So this is the first kind of slight here. Um, The governor, who in many cases was appointed by the United States or was a, a pawn of the United States, Luis Munoz Marin among them, um, and the United States themselves had the ability to veto. I want you to think about that for a moment, because imagine, you know, you're living in New York right now, Henry. Imagine the federal government could veto what New York wants to do. Any act, any any legislation, anything they want, if they felt like they, they could veto it, they just do. No process whatsoever. Well, I feel like New York would have the same uh, agenda as the federal government for the most part. Well, all right, fine. Pick I think you state. have to use the ana- <laughs> use that analogy on well, what if you live in North Dallas and the federal government can do and veto whatever you want to do? Right. It's less about how you align with the federal government and more about the ability of the federal government to supersede your elected officials and veto any legislation that you put on the table there it would never fly like there would be a war right so the reason why they did this again i want to point out is that you know wilson needed bodies for the meat grinder of world war one and puerto ricans as i have shown you (laughs) are pretty tenacious fighters as a matter of fact in both World War One and World War Two, Puerto Rican soldiers are among the most decorated, you know, in those wars. And so they just need bodies. So they toss Puerto Rico a bone. They're like, hey, we're going to let you in on like this thing that we're doing and you can be citizens so that we can recruit you. And then we're also going to let you like set up your own little government, but we can veto anything you do. And, you know, it'll be fine, right? That's the relationship that we have. It was just super underhanded. And, you know, among so many other things, you know, English was decreed as the official language of Puerto Ricans, which is problematic because Puerto Ricans speak Spanish. 
as their primary language, right? Um, all the schools had to be taught in, in English uh, for a period of time. Uh, there was no flying of Puerto Rican flags, like you could only fly the American flag. Um, and right now, one of the bigger parts of the Jones Act that's a pain in the ass for Puerto Rico today is this one section of um, the of that act, which basically has the U.S. maintain control over fiscal and economic matters um, over Puerto Rico. And in particular, how that what, what an offshoot of that is, is that let's say you're Puerto Rico and you need cheap goods from China. Who doesn't need cheap goods from China? You can't send a boat from China to Puerto Rico to unload goods, to, to do trade. You must first send that boat to the United States. In most cases, this is Florida, where they'll take those goods, take them off of that Chinese boat, put them on a U.S. flag boat, and then they'll send it to Puerto Rico. So as you can imagine, this jacks up the price because now we have to do a second boat for no good reason. Yeah, it just uh, it kills your export business. It's, it's right. it make it makes no sense. It's so arbitrary when it's so much easier to ship right from Puerto Rico. Like the whole point of Puerto Rico in the first one of the main points of having that colonial possession was that it's like a you know, it's a kind of logistics hub. It's like the last larger island on a chain of islands in the Caribbean and it, it, right. it has access to South America. It has is closer to to a lot of different uh, logistical areas and, and right. the fact that you have to go back to Florida, it's just, it's, it's, it's a crazy, there's business um, interest in this. Right? And there's, so and there's a lot of other things wrong with the Jones act as well. Right. So um, much, which we could, we could, we can really get into, but it's really one of those, just you look at it and you're like, this is the consequence of having a bureaucracy that is, uh, thinking in a very distorted way right to, to put it in the nicest terms yeah it's it's pretty nuts and and you know there's there's so many business interests aligned in the jones act that you know the businesses lobby to make these types of roles so that they can like a u.s shipping company as as an example can make money off of trade with puerto rico indefinitely because they can't trade on their own. They must trade vis-a-vis -vis this middleman, which is them, which also coincidentally makes it super hard for them, for, for the U.S. to undo any of those roles because there's such massive business interest in it, right? Nobody in Florida in their right mind, no, no senator, no, no, um, you know, no, no congressperson in Florida is ever going to vote to repeal said act because that would hurt the businesses in their in their constituencies, right? So there's that. <laughs> and I guess, I guess this is a good kind of spot to just pause. There is so much more that I want to talk about to highlight how and why we got to a bunch of nationalist Puerto Ricans, you know, taking over cities, trying to assassinate the U.S. president, shooting up Congress, etc. There's so many more reasons, but hopefully now you can start to get a sense for what's all going on here. Puerto Rico Just, is a colony. They were treated really poorly. <laughs> and that kind of pisses people off. So hopefully it's giving you a little context now. It obviously doesn't excuse violence, right? It's still firmly believe that violence isn't the answer but you'll start in the next episode you'll start to see how you know these puerto rican nationalists start to lose their their cool yeah um let's yeah let's wrap it up thank you everyone for for listening to another episode of bro history Rate and review the podcast. That is the number one way to support our show. Rate and review it if you are on Apple or if you are on Spotify. Um, it really does help us out a lot. So please rate and review the show. 
And then you can join us on Patreon where you get access to our Slack. Um, Danny, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, Just that I'm super pumped to tell you more about this story because I think it's incredibly fascinating. And, uh, you know, once again, I think I'll just uh, shout out um, the author of this book, uh, uh, Nelson A. Dennis. The book is called War Against All Puerto Ricans. If you want to pick it up, it's a crazy-ass read. Uh, I'm not sponsored by them or anything like that. I just thought it was neat. So that's about it. Just, just to give you a teaser, so I, I, was, I like looking at old RAND articles, like RAND Corporation articles, the Pentagon uh, Advisory Consulting Service. And mm-hmm. a sentence in here that I found really interesting, this random sentence, the Puerto Rican terrorists are similar to the Palestinians in this regard. They seem convinced that the actual process of the struggle they are waging creates a national identity for them. So wow. Just, wow. Just, just, <laughs> just a quick, just a quick uh, teaser of what we're kind of we're going talk for about in this, <laughs> yeah. in this uh, series when I guess this overall series of talking about separatist movements. But uh, I think this will get really interesting because I don't really think anyone's covered this that far in podcast form. We um, made right. the comparison there, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but the Rand Corporation did. So this should be <laughs> super, this should be a super interesting topic. Um, all right. Thanks, guys. We will see you soon. Peace. Peace.